I am not an expert. I've never published a book or taught a class. I've never even put anything in a quilt show. But I love quilting, and I love talking about quilting. I make a lot of mistakes, but I like to think that sometimes I learn from them and get just a little bit better. If hearing about someone else's goofs and mess-ups makes you feel better about yours, then I've done my job. Join me as we talk about quilting for the rest of us. Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter, and welcome to episode 48, (laughs) in which I have no title. I just realized I'll have to come up with something before I actually post it. Um, I think it would be something along the lines of, in which we talk about a top 10 or something. Um, In any case, I had actually started recording this episode last week, but when I re-listened to it yesterday, hoping to get it posted... It just sounded painful. I was still so struggling with my allergies and everything. It was like I was gasping for breath through the whole thing. (laughs) So I bagged it and um, I am starting again today. And so I apologize that it was late, uh, but I just really didn't want to, um, I don't know, uh, impose my horrific sounding voice on you. As you can tell, I'm doing a lot better now. It's back to just kind of being normal allergies at this point. Um, From everybody I've talked to, it's just been a horrific allergy season this year. Uh, But I shouldn't really be complaining because the flip side of allergies is there's now something to actually be allergic to. I've got blooming things and pretty things outside to look at. So that's nice. And in fact, it was warm enough today that I even took my laptop and worked outside on my patio for a little bit until the bugs chased me back in. You know, go figure. Two weeks ago, it was hail and, you know, 30 degree weather and freezing cold. And this week the bugs actually chased me back inside on an 85 or 80 degree day that I was sitting outside in a tank top. So, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the Northeast. But in any case, um, doing better today. I don't have a whole lot of time to record this episode. Um, and in fact, I'm very worried that I may end up even skipping to going to the gym today, Um, but it's all in the name of quilting because my quilt retreat is tomorrow. Uh, A little bit more about that later, but I've got to get all my stuff packed up. And of course, I'm bringing, you know, ironing board and stuff for other people, you know, to share with other people as well. So I've got a lot to pack up. Um, But I'm going to do my best to get out at least a marginally interesting (laughs) episode uh, today. Um, let's see, a couple of announcements first. There are a couple of new podcasts out there. One of them I'm not actually entirely sure is new. It just sounds like it's new, but they keep talking about it being season three, which I can't find seasons one or two. Um, that one is American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. Uh, Pat Sloan is now the host for that. And they just posted their first episode, or at least the first episode of season three or whatever it is, uh, through iTunes, I think just last week. And I haven't had an opportunity to listen to it as usual. I'm kind of waiting for my next big road trip to um, download and listen to a bunch of these uh, podcasts I'm a little bit behind on. Again, um, I mostly do my podcast listening in the car. Sometimes I'll listen when I'm sewing, but that kind of depends on who else is in my office with me. If my husband's at his computer, um, because we all kind of share space here, then I don't often make him listen to Quilty podcasts. Then we'll listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me or Stuff You Should Know or one of the other podcasts. So anyway, that's why I keep getting behind in my podcast. Um, but there is one with by American Patchwork and Quilting. So, um, by the way, there that's one of my favorite quilt magazines is American Patchwork and Quilting by Better Homes and Gardens. So um, I have great expectations for their um, podcast as well. 
And then a brand spanking new podcast uh, is Quilter in the Gap. Um, As you've heard me comment before on how much I loved her screen name, she now has a podcast out. Uh, And again, I haven't had a chance to listen to your first episode yet. I apologize, but I will be doing that this weekend. And all I can say is you had better not stop leaving comments. I keep losing all my fun commenters to their own podcast. You know, once you start doing your own podcast, you don't really have time to be commenting on everybody else's anymore, unfortunately. So don't stop commenting. I'll miss you. Um, Also, congratulations to Frances at the Off Kilter Quilt podcast, because her first year podcast anniversary is coming up as well. Um, By the time you hear this, it might have even already passed. I know it was mid-May. I would have to double check the date. Uh, But congratulations to you, Frances. You're a lot of fun to listen to as well. Um, again, I heard, uh, in terms of listener comments, I got several this week. Thank you very much. I did hear from a bunch of other allergy sufferers. As I said, a lot of us have been talking about the fact that it's been a bad year for that. And Patty, I am sending you, um, mentally a box of tissues and hopefully you are feeling better with yours, just like I'm feeling better with mine. Congratulations, Holly on the purchase of your new Janome 6600. May you have a long and fruitful relationship. Uh, By the way, I just found a Janome page on Facebook, and I've added it as a favorite to the Quilting for the Rest of Us podcast page. Uh, Apologizing to all of you burning enough folks, but we Janomes just have to stick together. So um, you will find, if you haven't found the Facebook page yet, just go to the Quilting for the Rest of Us Facebook page, and you'll see it in the list of pages that we like, or I like anyway. Um, I heard from Teresa and she did receive her felted wool that she won from the drawing. Thanks again, Erin, for sending that. And do remember, Teresa, that we get to see pictures when you use it. Can't wait to see those. Thank you to Louise for sending me a great email about the Quilty Exercises episode, and I'm really glad that you didn't drive off the road while listening to it. Um, lately, I've been posting a bunch of book reviews on my blog. I think I mentioned that in my last episode. I'm still basically working my way through my Alex Anderson collection at the moment. I think I've only got two left to do. Um, and I'm doing all my Alex Anderson books because I am loaning them to somebody. So I'm trying to get them reviewed and off my shelf. Um, but I've also been posting all these book reviews because, frankly, I, for some well, I know why. It's I was going to say for some reason. Because of my allergies, I've just been completely wiped. And so I've been uninspired to sew lately. Uh, So I decided to spend that time kind of reconnecting with my quilty library. And um, hence, the next set of listener comments that I've been getting are really based on those book reviews. Um, Laura agrees with me on Alex Anderson's Neutral Essentials book, which if you haven't read my book review yet, um, just go to my quiltingfortherestofus.blogspot.com blog. Um, Again, the link is from the regular show notes page at quiltingfortherestofus.com. Neutral Essentials is probably my favorite Alex Anderson book to date. It's just very well done and just the quilts are gorgeous. And I just love neutral quilts, but I really do go through, you know, I give you more of a review than that on my blog. But Laura uh, posted a comment on that book review and says that she also owns the book, loves it too. And she's been buying neutral fat quarters ever since buying the book herself a while back. Um, And it just made me think, if any of you have done any neutral quilts before, uh, please post the pictures to the Flickr group for Quilting for the Rest of Us. I would just love to see them. I haven't made a neutral quilt myself yet, but I am kind of working my way up to that. I've got some other things I'm trying to get off my dockets first, some other ideas in my head that I need to um, deal with. (laughs) 
<laughs> before they drive me nuts because they've been in my head for so long. But eventually I will get to going to doing a neutral um, quilt. But meanwhile, I love to see other people's pictures. So if you've done a neutral quilt, post a picture in the Flickr group, please. Um, let's see. Thank you to Susan, Kate, Cindy, Carrie, Mary, Mary, Sarah, Jennifer, and Lori for all of their congratulations on my Mother's Day gift, which I will talk a little bit more about later. Uh, Noni, who is, by the way, one of the few podcasters who still very consistently leaves a lot of um, comments on other people's podcasts. I'm really impressed with how she's able to keep up with all of us. Congratulations, Noni. It's uh, fantastic for us to get your comments because Noni's comments are always very helpful. She always gives a lot of information. It's great to read. Um, And she has posted some comments on various of my uh, Alex Anderson book reviews in my blog. So make sure you go and, and check those out, too. Um, just today I posted a non-book review blog entry on, um, checking in, you know, it's not quite halfway through the year yet, but we're, you know, we're pushing it. We're getting close. So I was just sort of assessing where I'm at in my 2001, sorry, (laughs) that was a real trip back in time there. My 2011 quilty resolutions. Um, and I'm glad to say that you know, almost halfway through the year, and I'm almost halfway through my resolutions. I was actually kind of impressed with myself when I realized that. Uh, But a few people have left their own comments on that um, blog entry as well. And in fact, one not seconds before I started recording this uh, podcast, Cindy is now reviewing her quilt resolutions. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing from you when you have. Give us your assessment. Follow up with us. Laura left an assessment of where she is in her goals, and she's doing very well as well. And Katie posted that she apparently just talked about her quilty resolution goals in her podcast that she just posted last night. And again, sorry, Katie, I haven't been able to listen to it yet. I have been waiting for it. I've got a little over an hour drive um, to my guild retreat this weekend one way. I mean, it's a two-hour round trip. Um, So I'm planning on getting some time, you know, during that to catch up on some of those podcasts. Uh, If you remember in my last episode, I also discussed my struggles with rolled, my rolled hem foot and the corners on those dang napkins. And I asked for anybody that might have suggestions for how to handle corners with rolled hem feet. Um, And I did get a couple of (laughs) suggestions, but none of them had anything to do with the rolled hem. Um, Noni suggested trying to do it as a curved corner. I mean, I guess that does have to do with the rolled hem foot that um, maybe if I did a curved corner rather than a pointed corner that it might, I might actually be able to just kind of flow that rolled hem foot around the corner. Um, That's definitely worth a shot. I will look into doing that. Um, I guess I question how even I'd be able to keep my, my, corners, uh, my curved corners. And um, that's not a comment on the uh, suggestion. That's a comment purely on my own skills and my eye and whether I can, you know, do that evenly. Um, Jay also let me know just how she makes her napkins, which is actually, um, you know, sewing two pieces of fabric together and then uh, turning them inside out and doing a, a kind of a decorative stitch where your seam would normally be. And, you know, I think I may try that method, um, not the least of which reason it would actually get rid of, you know, twice as much of my stash if I'm looking, you know, if I've got some fabrics that just don't really flip my switch anymore, why not turn them into napkins? Um, And if I do it that way, then I'm turning twice as much of it into a napkin. So that's probably also something I will be trying soon. So thank you very much, Noni and Jay, for those ideas. Um, Let's see, finally... 
Pat commented on episode 41, in which I interviewed Kim Templin of the Double Diamond Ruler fame, that Pat um, had just been to Paducah and she bought the Double Diamond Ruler while she was there and she's looking forward to using it. Um, And Pat also noted in her uh, comment, don't ask about the high water. And I do know that they have that they had problems with flooding during the quilt conference in Paducah. Um, I have not heard. I'm really hoping that there wasn't any actual damage to any vendors or quilts. I haven't heard that there was. I think because they had um, some warning or something that the flooding was going to happen or or whatever, that they were able to move venues around and, and get things into different places before damage could occur. I hope that's the case. Um, in any case, I hadn't heard any you know great news in the quilt world. Certainly no... I think I would have heard if, you know, huge numbers of quilts had gotten destroyed. So hopefully that was fine. So thank you to everybody who is listening. Thank you also to um, any new listeners who are out there. I did just hear through a woman in my guild today that there is a listener that doesn't live all that far from me who's friends with the woman from my guild. And uh, my comment back to um, our mutual friend, the woman from my guild, was... um, you know, if you listen, you're supposed to be commenting because this is a conversation. I want to hear from you. That's part of the deal. Uh, So definitely leave your comments. I love to hear from you. And that gives me something to talk about and talk back to. Um, I also want to say thank you to everybody who is leaving um, reviews on iTunes. And I finally figured out something that had been just burning my shorts for the last several months. Um, I had been hearing, you know, you hear the scuttlebutt that, gee, the more reviews people get, the higher up they show up in lists. But that didn't seem to be the case for my podcast. When you just put in a a search for the word quilt um, in podcasts, I am way, way down, like second or third row from the bottom of all the quilt podcasts and even a whole bunch of just general crafty podcasts. And I couldn't figure out why was I so far down when so many of you had been so kind to leave, you know, the star ratings and the reviews and they were all very positive and, you know, thank you very much for that. But I was trying to figure out, so what good is it then if I'm still at the bottom of the list? I finally figured out what the issue was. I happened to be looking for another podcast. I don't remember now how I ended up in this section, Um, but I was in the category uh, visual arts in the podcast system. And there shows up my podcast in the new and noteworthy (laughs) listing right on the front of the visual arts page. I was the day I checked, I was suddenly like, you know, the eighth one listed or something, which is fantastic. And I realized the problem was, um, when I first posted my podcast into iTunes, I categorized it in visual arts, I did not categorize it in hobbies, um, (laughs) for which you can go back to one, you know, way back to one of my early episodes. Um, about is it art to craft or hobby i don't remember what the exact title of the podcast was but i did a whole thing about you know how do you view quilting do you view it as an art do you view it as a craft do you view it as a hobby and it was really fun episode to do Uh, a lot of listener input and it generated a lot more conversation after that so if you haven't listened to that one do go back and listen to it Uh, but in my opinion my quilting for me is just it's more of it's more than a hobby um I have kind of a different definition in my head of craft, although I could also see that applying. Um, but I also sometimes have difficulty labeling it as art for me personally. Certainly other people's quilts I can label as art. And so that whole episode kind of talked through, you know, why that was for me. Um, but I realized in in labeling my episode or my podcast as visual arts, um, kind of making a statement, I kind of 
probably shot myself in the foot because I think most people who look for quilting podcasts probably look for them under hobbies. So now I may go back through and see if I can at some point figure out how to recategorize myself so that I am more in line with, you know, the way most people probably look at quilting. Um, but all the, that's a very long roundabout way to say thank you very much for all of your uh, listener reviews and star ratings and stuff, because they really do make a difference. It is all of you that helped me show up in the new new and noteworthy um, section on the visual arts part of iTunes. So thank you very much for that. And thank you on behalf of all the other Pilt Quadcasters. <laughs> That was kind of funny. Quilt podcasters. Um, blame the Claritin. I'm I'm still a little bit fuzzy with uh, allergy medications. But um, I know a lot of you have been rating a lot of the quilt podcasters. I hear them periodically also referring to it in their podcast. So thank you on all of our behalf. And to all the other quilt podcasters out there, I've gotten the um, chance to rate some of you. I haven't gotten through everybody. I will be doing that um, as I go. So, you know, be patient. <laughs> I will be rating you as well um, and rating you well. Thank you. I enjoy listening to all of you. Um, let's see. Other news in the Sandy world. Um, okay. You heard me reference my Mother's Day gift earlier. Um <laughs> My husband, and this is this is truly my husband. I mean, he talks to my kids about it, but um, he was the one that really kind of was the impetus behind this Mother's Day gift. I had a few weeks ago um, been reading one of my quilt magazines, and knowing that I had my quilt retreat coming up this weekend, I had pointed out the So Easy table to him um, and said, boy, I'd, you know, I'd really love to have this at some point because it would be so much nicer to be able to take that to quilt retreat um, with me. And then I didn't think much more about it because my husband um, has actually stated that he really hates, if somebody asks for something specifically, he really hates to get it for them then because he feels like he's just kind of fulfilling a grocery list rather than showing his own knowledge of, you know, who that person is. And, and you know, normally he gets great gifts. I've never had anything to complain about in terms of the gifts that my husband's given me over the years. He really is very insightful. And most times, for example, my Kindle, he gave that to me for Christmas, and I had just had no sense whatsoever that I really wanted a Kindle. But boy, I haven't put that thing down since he gave it. To, it was perfect. I've used it so much and really enjoyed it. So he's he's very insightful in that way. Um, so when I, you know, I showed him the thing, I never point anything out to him saying, could you get this to me for me for a gift? Because I know if I really do want something, that's the last way I'm actually going to get it. Um, so anyway, I... Just had kind of figured, you know, maybe next fall I'll buy it or next, you know, I'll ask for it for Christmas from as a family gift or something where I could kind of talk people into going in together or something on it. Um, but in any case, you know, Mother's Day, he said to me, well, we're going to get you that. We would like to, you to have that so easy table. Um, but he didn't really know what to order. He said, I was, you know, I was going to order it for you, but then I was afraid I'd get into the website and they'd start asking me all these questions that I wouldn't be able to answer. You know, you're the expert on this stuff. You know what you want, so you need to go ahead and order it. So sure enough, that night I ordered it. Unfortunately, um, you know, Mother's Day being as close to my quilt retreat as it was, I don't have it in time to take for my quilt retreat. I got a little excited. On Monday, I got a notice that it had been shipped. So I had some hope that maybe it would come today because I have to leave tomorrow morning. Um, but no, no, sadly, it didn't. So 
Um, it'll probably get here, you know, on Saturday while I'm at my retreat. Although I'm not that far away, I'm, I'm tempted to say to my family, you know, if it does come while I'm gone, call me and I will run home and get it and bring it back down. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the So Easy table is, it's S-E-W-E-Z-I is how it's spelled. And it's a portable sewing table. And um, it's a table that you can actually, it sits your machine down recessed in, and then it comes with the plexiglass insert cut to the size of your sewing machine uh, so that you have that flat surface. And it has um, wheels on it on one end of it, so it's easy to, you know, transport. Uh, you fold it up and it's got, it comes with a carrying case and then you transport it back and forth. Everything I've heard about it, people that I know that have it and things I've seen on message boards and everything say it's very, very sturdy, so it doesn't vibrate a ton, um, which is surprising because it's a pretty small compact table since it's a, um, you know, portable one. So, um, and it comes with other accessories. It comes with a light box accessory that you can turn it into a light box and that kind of thing. Uh, I didn't get any accessories with it. I decided I would just get the straight up table to begin with. And then if I decided I wanted to order, order those later, I could. Um, I don't think any of them actually have to be installed, you know, manufacturer installed in this table. I think they're things that I could get afterwards and install myself. Um, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because one of my things about going on quilt retreat um, is that I can do piecing, but I can't really do machine quilting because I have a plexiglass extension table that goes with my sewing machine that I do take on retreat with me, but it's still just not enough. I, I guess I've been spoiled. I do have a sewing cabinet that my sewing machine recesses down into. So at home, I'm always sewing with that flat surface. So I just can't adjust my machine quilting, my free motion quilting or anything to having that plexiglass um, table because it t keeps my quilt gets caught on the edge or I'm trying to stack up all sorts of books and stuff. If I can find them at the retreat center around the outside to give me more surface, it's just a pain in the butt. So <laughs> I don't bother doing any machine quilting while I'm on retreat. I just do straight piecing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having this uh, this table. Plus, you know, you can bring it to classes. And if I have a friend over to sew with me in my sewing room, that will give me another place where I can set somebody else up. So I'm really looking forward to this thing. Um, and I have said that once I get it and I'm able to take it for a test run, I will do a review of it in a future episode. So that was very exciting. Um, as I've mentioned several times, I do have my quilt retreat coming up this weekend. Um, we do twice a year our guild quilt retreat. Um, they do one in October and one in May. I am only infrequently able to attend the one in October because October is my anniversary. It's my son's birthday. And it's also, I'm always gone for five days for one of my um, board meetings for the organization that I work for. So between those three things, I don't have a whole lot of October left. <laughs> and the quilt retreat usually ends up on one of those weekends. So like next October, I'm not going to be able to go again because it's one of the weekends I'm going to be gone. Uh, but the May one, I have often been able to make. I don't think I've been there every year since I joined the Guild. I've been a member of the Guild about five years, and I think I've only gone to three of the retreats so far. Um, some of that has also been, even the retreats I have gone to have often been sort of scattershot where I've gone and then had to leave for a little bit and then come back because my kids have always had stuff going on that weekend at school that I've had to kind of get them back and forth to. Um, I mean, big event kind of stuff. Normally my husband would, you know, cover for me. That's never been a big deal. But we're talking like proms and formals and things that, you know, you kind of want to be there and see your kid all gussied up and all that kind of stuff. So um, I've just, this is my first year that I am going tomorrow morning 
and I am not coming back until Sunday, and I'm really excited. I'm probably going to be completely fried. Um, you know, halfway through the weekend, I'll be like, can I please go somewhere and do something else for a little bit? But I'm really looking forward to it. We're supposed to have pretty nice weekend uh, weather this weekend, and the quilt, the retreat is held at a, um, I think it's a Methodist retreat center down on a small lake Um in a small town down here. So it's, it's a very pretty setting and it's always nice uh, to be able to go out and take walks during the day and, you know, sit out and watch the sunset on the little dock next to the lake. It's a very pretty setting. And um, the cafeteria food is actually remarkably pretty good for a small retreat center. So, and of course people always bring all sorts of snacks, etc. Um, and so I've got two projects that I'm going to take with me this year. In the past, I've often brought, you know, a whole bunch of stuff because I'm never quite sure what I'm going to be in the mood for or how, you know, how much I'm going to be able to get done. This time I'm only bringing two things down with me, um, mostly because I think one of them will probably take me most of the weekend. And if I get done, you know, a lot sooner than I think, then I'm bringing a second project uh, and or the other thing is if I get too fried working on one project for, you know, multiple hours at a time, the other project I'm bringing is one I can easily just do a little bit here and there, so I can kind of go back and forth between the two if I need a change of scene. So the first one I'm bringing with me is a kit that I bought last June when I went on the Shop Hop, which was the topic of another you know podcast episode back there. Um, but I'd gone on the Shop Hop with a few women from our guild, had a great time. We were all talking about how much we'd love to go again this year, but none of us have any money to do it. Um, it's the anyway back to the kit it's called serengeti and oh it's by tony malloy tony something t-o-n-i and it's a big lion's head and um it's a close-up of lion's head it's all applique and so it's all these little bitty pieces and i had debated just buying the pattern and then trying to get all the fabric myself and i ultimately decided by the time i took the time to find all that fabric i would have probably spent more than just buying the kit and it would have taken me years you know to do the collection and I know my my attention span just isn't that long so I decided just cut to the chase and buy the kit so the kit itself I think was in the $60 range you can still order I mean it's still available and um, I did want to point this out but the reason I'm talking about this kit is it's really really well put together I was extremely impressed I pulled it out last week to look at it um, just to make sure there wasn't going to be any um, kind of weird supplies I was going to have to track down and make sure I had with me or anything. Um, and there isn't. I'm just going to run up to Joanne's and make sure I've got enough uh, fusible. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm losing words. Sorry. Again, Clarendon. Um, in any case, the, the way the kit is put together, it not only has, you know, the instructions, it has a numbered picture with where all the different fabrics go and then you know the a list of the fabrics in the kit by number so you know which fabric goes where but not only do they go that far but the fabric the, itself is first of all really um folded beautifully it's very attractive in the in the kit they folded it well and then um they, there's actually little sticky labels on each piece of fabric with the number on it. So it's going to be very easy for me to keep track, at least at the beginning, you know, before I start cutting everything up and getting it scattered all over my table at the retreat, it'll be pretty easy to keep track of where everything is. So I'm really looking forward to working on that. Um, 
again, you know, tonight I'm going to take some time to just sort of pull it out again, make sure I've got everything with me, sort of think through, you know, what I'm going to do when. Because my other problem with uh, doing project at retreat is the high distractibility level. You know, you've got 30 other people <laughs> quilting around you and, of course, all the noise and the screwing around that goes on on retreats. So I want to make sure I've kind of got this in my head before I get into that. You know, I don't want to open something up for the first time and be trying to figure it out. Uh, so, I, but I do have confidence having already looked at it once. It's going to be a challenge for me. I've done machine applique before. I've never done anything with this many pieces, this intricate and trying to make sure, you know, it's going to be tricky to make sure I'm getting them all in the right place. Uh, it is, you can do it by hand, but it is aimed at machine raw edge um, applique. So all I'm really going to be doing this weekend is getting everything cut out in place and then fused down, at least kind of, you know, stuck down, even if it's sort of temporarily. If I can get to the sewing of it, I will. But again, that sort of depends on what sort of setup I have and whether I feel like my setup will work with me and not against me. So <laughs> I'm not trying to think that I'm going to have this whole thing done by the end of the weekend, but I'd love to have the top at least all fused together and ready to be sewn so that when I get home, I can then just go to town on it and, and finish it up from there. The other project I'm going to bring with me is actually my Guild's Block of the Month Challenge from, I think it was 2008. Uh, we do a Block of the Month Challenge where you just keep your own blocks. So our, I think it's our Guild Secretary, it's the, um, the, the librarian friend that I keep talking about, Kate. Uh, she has one of those... Um, Judy Hopkins around the block books and so she'll just choose a block in a month and announce it and everybody makes blocks and then does show and tell hey here's my blocks um and I think and <laughs> I haven't done it the last three years because the year I did decide to do it I wasn't able to finish it I just kept getting further and further behind and I finally decided you know this is not something I can do right now it's not because it's hard by any means it was just trying to fit that in with the rest of my life wasn't working so my goal is to now get this one done and off of my back so that maybe then in 2012, if our guild does this again, then I can do it again because it is a lot of fun to do. Um, I think we did four blocks <laughs> every month. I don't really remember. It might have only been one, but I think it was four. So I'm going to have to go back and look at that again. But I had done mine all in topes. Uh, in 2008, I was really big into the whole tope quilt look that kind of came out of the Japanese style of quilting and so I had collected a bunch of taupe fat quarters and some fabrics and stuff and was working through those and part of the my rationale of doing this block of the month thing was also to get used to working in scraps rather than having a whole pattern where I was doing you know just a set of four or five fabrics and that was the whole quilt that was really the first time I was just pulling a whole bunch of random fat quarters together and just trying to make it you know, work. And um, I'm really looking forward to get, getting back to that. I still have everything in the same bin where it was originally had. So I still have all the fabrics. I have the blocks that I'd already done. And um, I believe I have in there the list of the rest of the blocks from 2008. Now, obviously I've got the book. I could just go through and choose whatever blocks I want to do. But the way my brain works, it's not finished if it's not done the way it was originally intended to done it, it'd be done. And, you know, that's just my own thing. Um, I just need to get over that sometimes. In this case, I don't feel like getting over it. You know, it was kind of fun doing those blocks. I want to honor the work that Kate had done and choosing which blocks we're going to do. And I want to do it the way it was supposed to be done in 2008. Darn it. So I'm going to bring that with me. Um, 
because I figured that's another thing. I think I've only actually got like three months, four months worth to do. So it wouldn't take me all that long to get all the blocks done. And then, of course, you got to put them all together. But I figured that would be something that either would be easy enough to do if I get the Serengeti one done, or if I'm halfway through the Serengeti and just can't stand to look at another little piece of fur from a main, I can set it aside, do a few blocks, and then go back to it. So those are the two projects I'm going to bring with me. And that's really it. Um, again, I you know I thought, if, if boy, if a miracle happens and I get all the way through both of those projects... I come home. <laughs> you know, I'll be done. It will be a great weekend. I don't think I will, though, because the other thing I'm doing during Guild is taking a thread painting class. There's, I think, five of us who have signed up. There's a new quilt shop that's opened up pretty close to the retreat center, and uh, one of our Guild members made arrangements with a teacher from that quilt shop to come down and do a thread painting class for anybody who wanted to do the opportunity. And I've been wanting to do thread painting forever, Plus, one of my 2011 quilty resolutions was to do at least one in-person class, um, and then possibly two. And I haven't been able to do any yet, so I'm really looking forward to taking this class. And it'll be even extra fun just doing it with people from the Guild. So that'll be a lot of fun. But that's, I think, a four-hour class, so it's a chunk of Saturday that I'm going to spend in this class. Um, plus, another member of our Guild... Uh, has made an arrangement with her massage therapist, and her massage therapist is going to come down for the weekend and bring her chair to do chair massages. So that's another little piece of the weekend that I will be spending not quilting, because you're darn tootin' I'm going to get me a chair massage. <laughs> so that'll be great. Um, it should be a really fun weekend. I'm very much looking forward to it. Uh, so that's pretty much my update. Um, I do have a brief... Um, I have another part of a recording that I did do, I think, just yesterday with a book review that I'm going to include on this. Um, the recording turned out pretty well, even though I was in a little different setting, so I'm going to add that to this. But before I get to that, one thing I was thinking about, um, for some reason, these just started popping into my head while I was driving back and forth to uh, Rhode Island last week or two weeks ago, whenever I took that little trip. And so I wanted to do a thing called the Top 10 Ways to Annoy a Quilter. Yes, that's right. The top 10 ways to annoy a quilter. Number 10, sit down at her sewing machine without her permission, figuring that it can't be all that hard, and then immediately jam it up so badly she has to take it in for repairs and is thereby without a machine for two weeks and going through DTs. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter. Number 9, use a quilt that she lovingly made for you for Christmas as a dog bed. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number eight. Suggest that quilting is something only old ladies do. First of all, not. Secondly, who are you calling old? Watch it, Buster, you're no spring chicken yourself. Can you tell who I've had that conversation <laughs> with? Uh, top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number seven. Ask her to sew on a button. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number six. Use her fabric scissors to cut paper. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number five, use her fabric scissors as a screwdriver to get the battery pack off your Nintendo DS. Yes, <laughs> that one comes out of personal experience. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number four, schedule a family something that requires her presence on the same night as her guild meeting. After all, guild meetings are sacred time. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number three, ask do you really need any more fabric? Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter, number two. Okay, this one's a little bit on the serious side. Suggest that her style of quilting isn't real quilting. 
Come on, everybody. A quilt is a quilt regardless of whether it's traditional, modern, or art. But that's my soapbox for the moment, and we'll go on. Top 10 ways to annoy a quilter number one. Drum roll, please. Ready? Call a quilt a blanket. That's it on my top 10 ways to annoy a quilter. Certainly you've got your own, I'm sure. So please leave comments to this episode with your own top 10 ways, or at least one or two ways to annoy a quilter. I had so much fun reading your exercise once. I figured I'd throw this one open to you as well. So I'm going to close with the book review. Um, and then just <laughs> let it go. So uh, make sure you leave your comments, uh, questions, suggestions, etc. at the show notes for this podcast at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. Remember that there's a Flickr group and a Kiva team and a um, Big Tent group. In You have to join the Quiltcast Supergroup first. There's a Facebook page. And uh, you can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. And you can... Um, Twitter me, follow me on Twitter so I can follow you, Sandy Quilts, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. And uh, if you are on Goodreads, you can track me down there as well, Sandy with a Y, Quilts with a Z. I think that's it. I always forget one. But anyway, that's good enough. And uh, after you hear the book review, then you can go get your quilty on. What I wanted to talk about in this case is, or in this session, whatever, (laughs) it makes it sound like therapy, quilting therapy with Sandy. Um, (laughs) In any case, I ordered a book this week and it came yesterday or a couple days ago. And I wanted to give a quick book review. If you remember a couple of episodes ago, I don't remember exactly when I did, when I had the books out of the library and I reviewed a book on using orphan blocks that I was kind of unhappy with. It didn't really do what I wanted it to do. Uh, which was kind of give a little more um, hmm, tutelage, I guess, in how to use orphan blocks in general. That book that I reviewed in that episode was more very specific projects that I didn't even think really used the orphan blocks all that creatively, that most of the projects um, really just sort of slapped a block on the outside of a tote bag or slapped it on the outside of a purse. It wasn't anything really unique um, in my eyes anyway. Um, But in general, the book... I felt had a lack of kind of teaching you how to fish, as it were, rather than just giving you the fish of the pattern. Um, so I was really hopeful when I saw a book um, pop up on Amazon. And when I ordered it and uh, have received it, it's actually, it does have all of what I was looking for in that other book um, that wasn't in that other book. This book is called Orphan Block Quilts. Making a Home for Antique, Vintage, Collectible, and Leftover Quilt Blocks by Tricia Lynn Maloney. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Um, And this book was printed in 2010, so it is a fairly new one. Uh, Tricia Maloney uh, has a degree um, in... uh, It doesn't say what her actual degree is in. Um, She has an MS in Elementary Ed and Childhood Education, but she has worked with antique textiles for quite a long time. And so the book itself actually deals more with antique quilt blocks that you might find at estate sales or garage sales or even, you know, at various vendors that sell vintage um, textiles. But the the rules still apply. I mean, uh, she does talk about contemporary blocks, you know, orphan blocks you have left over from your own projects, that kind of thing. Um, but her her focus and most of the pictures in here are of antique quilt blocks, which is, you know, pretty cool too. It just kind of depends on what you're into. 
she the book starts out with um and this is what i really particularly like about this book she does do the tutelage you know you can tell she's an educator because she really educates you in general about things to consider when you are working with orphan blocks the first well after the introduction the first chapter is finding orphan quilt blocks you know where you can find the blocks and of course the first section is your own stash you know, looking for uh, what she refers to as modern orphans um, your unfinished objects that kind of thing um, but she also talks about antique dealers and flea markets and estate sales auctions that kind of thing so a variety of places that if you're into collecting antique blocks or if you want to find if you know if you enjoy finishing other people's projects that kind of thing um, she does give some ideas about where to go to find them and also in that a few tips about things to pay attention to if you're looking in those places then her next section is identifying suitable common blocks and she does have a definition for a common block um, is a, something that's intended for regular daily use it's not rare it's not particularly valuable in terms of its age. It's not rare in terms of its pattern and so forth. So, you know, she suggests that if you find antique blocks, you find a little bit about them first before you just willy-nilly start putting them into projects. Because if they are rare in and of themselves, you may actually do better just leaving them alone. And this is where you need to find yourself a good quilt appraiser or somebody that's in the know in order to help you identify what might be valuable and what not beyond you know what your own experience and knowledge might be. So her recommendation is to do nothing, she says, until you are sure the blocks aren't rare or otherwise valuable. And then she does actually go on to say that the book isn't about restoration. Um, but she does then go into inspecting your blocks, looking for signs of wear and tear, poor quality fabrics, um, all of those things that will help you decide what you really want to do with this block. Um, because some things, you know, some blocks are so badly damaged that it would be really difficult to actually use them without having to, as she sometimes suggests, cutting it apart and re-sewing it. Um, again, this is why you don't want to be doing this with a rare or valuable block, because your best option for a block might be to take it all apart, trim down all the pieces, and sew it back together. It might end up a little bit smaller, but then you're getting rid of some of those frayed edges and things like that that might make it more difficult to work with. Um, she also has a section on cleaning the blocks, so some things to keep in mind. And again, you can tell, again, that she's really focused more here on the antique or vintage blocks that might have gotten a little wear and tear depending on how well or badly they were um, stored over time but she gives some very good information here on things to think about when you're cleaning some tips for cleaning and that kind of thing um, then she does talk about making repairs so if you've got a block that has some of the seams coming apart she'll give you some tips about different ways you might be able to approach that and of course again one of those ways might be actually taking it apart and putting it back together then she talks about companion fabrics and blocks, um, and again, particularly if you're looking at if you've got a vintage antique block, you know, where you might be able to find uh, coordinating vintage or antique fabric, or whether you want to just go with repro um, fabric, that kind of thing. Again, she gives a lot of good information here about where you can find, you know, what sources you have for vintage fabric, or things you might want to consider if you're using newer fabrics that just kind of look like they go with it. Um, but then, and this is my favorite section, is uh, common design challenges and solutions. And this is really helpful when you're looking at any 
orphan blocks, whether they're contemporary from your own stash or whether they're vintage antique. You know, she talks about um, challenge one, your blocks are smaller than those featured in the project you want to make. And she talks about some solutions or challenge five, your blocks have bias edges and are distorted. And then she gives you, you know, a few potential options there. Um, so there's a few different kind of general um, challenges that you might find when you're dealing with orphan blocks um, and just some ways to look at fixing the problems or meeting the challenges, I guess I should say. Um, and then she does have a section about finishing and some things about choosing and preparing your backing fabric, layering. She does say, you know, and, and it's again, a lot of it is aimed at when you're working with uh, vintage textiles. She says something like, I try to avoid pinning or basting through old quilt blocks in order to avoid causing any damage, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so although some of it is kind of the standard basic quilt making instructions, she really, it isn't just, okay, I'm going to slap this stuff in here in case somebody's just picking up quilting for the first time and this happens to be the first book they ever buy, which it seems to be happening in a lot of quilt books today. Um, this one, she kind of understands that you've, you've, if you've got orphan blocks around, you've probably already been quilting for a while. Now, obviously, if you come across antique ones, yeah, you might be a new quilter, but she doesn't expect that you're going to learn how to quilt from this book. She expects that you're walking into it with at least some basic knowledge. Um, and then she does go into projects. And of course, you know, like all other books, there's a a number of projects here that she says, here, you can do this with your orphan blocks. But again, what it, what I really liked is she doesn't just say, here's a project, just do it. You know, she, she talks about in each project um, is some design considerations. So her first one is called Mad for Matter. And she is using... Um, five 4x blocks in the quilt that date as she says from about 1880 and she talks about the matter dye m-a-d-d-e-r which i'm not going to explain here so if you've never heard of the word matter m-a-d-d-e-r you might want to look it up on google maybe someday i'll do an episode about it but not now in any case so she talks about um how that ended up naming the the blocks but also kind of how she chose then the companion fabrics to go with it and she does in design considerations, each project has a section called design considerations. And so she says in this one that when she purchased the blocks at an antique shop, they were mixed in with a group of newer blocks in the same patterns, but the newer blocks were actually stained, not as well pieced. So she ended up kind of sorting them out and only working with the five older blocks. And then she does, you know, she gives the design. And then for each project again, it also ends with, here's a modern variation on it. Here's a way you could do the same project if you wanted to make it from scratch, um, making your own blocks. Here's some, some ways to do it. Now, again, the, the project does not show you how to piece the blocks themselves. So it's not, hey, if you like this project, here's a pattern for a 4X block yourself. If you like the setting, if you like the way she's put it together, then there are other books that you can find or Googling on the internet where you could probably find the pattern. Well, I know this one is pretty common. You could find it easily. The modern variation, she also doesn't really give... I'm looking, I'm flipping through the book here. Yeah, she doesn't give the directions for making that particular um, square. But again, you would look at this and say, okay... I'm not going to make that particular square, but I really like the way she's designed it, so I'm going to do it myself. So this isn't a book that you're going to be able to sit down and take a pattern from soup to nuts, you know, just create it from scratch. You're, the assumption is you're already starting with blocks, and it's more of an idea of how to put this one together. Um, the next one is Flying Pinwheels, so it's, she had a collection of 
on pinwheel blocks and she talks about she starts out saying, I can understand why these blocks remained orphans, <laughs> you know, and just kind of honestly, yeah, not all orphan blocks are of great construction. And so you have to kind of decide what you're willing to live with. That's something she also talks about. There's also some really enchanting stories um, behind where she actually knew where some of the quilt makers were on some of these. So she's got kind of a little history of that person and how she found out about them, etc. There are 14 projects um, specifically outlined in here and again you're not going to find the pattern for the quilt blocks themselves you are looking at it more in terms of settings how to put them together Um, one of my favorites is actually a bow and patches table runner where she had bow tie and four patch blocks um, and she put them together as a table runner in a really neat arrangement and that one made me think I've got some orphan blocks of my own not bow tie I've never made a bow tie block but um, I've got some orphan blocks of myself of my own that really would probably make a really neat table runner with that pattern. So it just it gets you thinking about the possibilities for your own stash, or your own orphan blocks, or you know if you are somebody who collects um, antique ones. Um, so I I personally love this book. It was much much more what I was looking for um, from the original book I got out of the library. You know what I thought I was going to get out of that book and didn't. This one has it. If you have orphan blocks and you're looking for ideas of ways to use them, I would say this is an excellent companion book um, or another resource that you could use in addition to something like Sharon Craig's Setting Solutions, which is a book I talked about eons ago in one of my very first episodes because I love that one. Um, That's an excellent resource for looking at different ways to set blocks and ways to... um, Oh, compensate for things like blocks that aren't quite the same size or blocks that are a little bit wonky, you know, that kind of thing. Sharon Craig's book has a lot of good uh, suggestions for that, as does this one. So I think the two books side by side on your shelf would give you a lot of ideas. I like the fact that she has not only here's what I did with the antique blocks, but here's a more modern variation on it. She also has at the very end, this book has something that she calls the orphanage. And in this case, it's a gallery of completed orphan block quilts and other orphan block projects. And no instructions here, just pictures. So you, again, you can get it, look at it and get inspiration for ways to deal with your own orphan blocks. There's table runners and wall hangings. There's a doll quilt. There's a couple of purses in here. Um, not a huge gallery. I would have loved to have seen more, but I suppose, you know, there's only so many pages. This is 125 something pages, I guess, uh, with an index. So you can only put so much in a book. It's just, you know, you always want to look at more pictures of quilts. So um, I would highly recommend this book. Again, if you are looking for ways to deal with orphan blocks, if you're looking for quilt patterns that you can make from scratch, no, you're not going to find that in here. You're going to have to look other in other places for if you like a block that you see in this quilt and you don't own that block, you're going to have to find the block pattern somewhere else or design it on EQ or whatever. Um, This one is definitely, once you got the blocks, here's some things you can do with them. And she even does talk about, you know, if you want to do something that's a different size, here's how you can adjust it, that kind of thing. I really found this a very useful book. Um, I would think beginners could use it. You know, if you're somebody that wants to start getting into collecting um, other people's blocks, or if you're doing block swaps, that's another way to kind of end up with orphan blocks. Um, you know, people do block swaps hoping that they're going to end up with a completed quilt at the end. But again, frankly, you're going to get some 
blocks that just don't work with everything else you've gotten whether their colors are just a little bit off or whether they're just pieced a little bit differently so they're a different size, y'all's got to be ready for the fact you're going to end up with some orphan blocks kicking around your stash at some point in your quilt making career. Um, This is a great book to help you deal with that. So that's my book review. Um, I would recommend it if this is a need you have. I liked this book much, much better than the other one. This really had a lot more of what I was looking for. So again, this book is Orphan Block Quilts, Making a Home for Antique, Vintage, Collectible, and Leftover Quilt Blocks by Tricia Lynn Maloney. And I will put a link to it in the um, show notes for this episode. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom. 